I'm Andrew Topf with Investing News Network, and I'm joined today by William Lamb, President and CEO of Lucara Diamond. William, thanks for joining me. Andrew, thanks for having me. So our audience is probably more familiar with metal exploration and mining. So for, for starters, can you tell us how a diamond deposit differs from, say, a gold deposit as far as the pipe or vein structure are concerned? Well, if we look at a, a classic um, kimberlite, it's actually an extinct volcano. So it's really as the volcano has, has erupted. That is the pipe which we're mining. So instead of having a vein which may extend over a certain length, um, the Kimberlite pipe is essentially a, like a, a carrot, a dietary move that just goes straight down. So mining methods are generally open cost, um, and once you reach the economic limit of the open cost, will then move underground. But it is essentially a very defined um, pipe which is fairly easy to, to delineate in terms of your exploration. Okay. Now, Kimberlite mines tend to have consistent grade ranges throughout the structure. Can you tell us a bit more about diamond grades and how two similar grades, uh, sorry, two similar deposits can be quite different? I think, again, it comes a lot of the, the original exploration that is done on a Kimberlite pipe. Um, there's a lot of statistical analysis which happens over and above that, really to proportion the diamonds across the Kimberlite. But essentially what we're looking at is just the extreme of a nugget effect. Um, as the, 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 the volcano erupts, it actually brings diamonds up, and those diamonds are, are fairly evenly distributed. Um, but the, the quality of the diamonds has a lot to do with the rate of eruption, how quickly it erupts. If it's very slow, we have resorption of the diamonds, and a lot of the, the poorer quality diamonds will actually be absorbed into the kimberlite, and they won't exist. But whereas if it's a very violent eruption, um, generally the, the diamonds which are formed 150, 150 to 200 kilometers below the Earth's surface, they maintain the original crystal structure, and that's where you get better quality of stones. Right, okay. So it's, it's my understanding that becoming a diamond producer can be very capital intensive. So what are the, the financial risks associated with diamond mining? I think if, if we talk about risks in, in, in diamond mining, I think most of the risk actually exists in finding a kimberlite which is going to be economically viable. And if we look at the probability of finding a kimberlite which will eventually result in economic returns, the strike rate there is around about one in a thousand. So I think the risk is more associated with the exploration, but if we look at the development um, there's a very large difference between developing a project in Canada because of you're operating in the north, and on average there you're looking at between 800 million and a billion dollars to develop. That is very capital intensive. Versus where Lucari is focused in southern Africa, um, the assets can actually be bought for much less. As an example, the total capital for the Matai or the the Karowe project was 120 million dollars. So sort of almost orders of magnitude different because we're not having to build um, very constrained footprints to reduce the size of the building, etc., as they would in the north. And um, most of our employees are actually housed in the local village, so reducing the overall infrastructure cost as well. Okay. And typically junior exploration companies have difficulty uh, developing a discovery into a diamond mine. Uh, which factors have enabled Lucara to push forward to become a producer? I think when people look at exploration companies, especially junior companies, the vast majority of um, management that they would have would be exploration people. Um, whereas Lucara, when we originally started, our overall objective was not really to focus on exploration. Um, we were really um, there to build and develop operations. So if we look at our management structure, um, between um, the four senior managers, we've most probably been part of up to 15 or more um, projects where it's gone through the study phase, the construction or engineering, construction, commissioning, and into operations. So, um, I think the, the, one of the success factors which Lucara has is based on a very deep um, pool of experience, having done it not just once, but a number of times, and be, being able to sort of use that experience to, to develop the minds which we have. 
Yeah, Lucara recently found a 239-carat diamond mine at the Throwaway Mine. Incredible discovery. So how common are stones this size, and what do they imply for the deposit as a whole? I think if we look at um, any diamond mine, um, management are always hoping to recover something which is unique, something which they didn't expect to be there. And I think for, for Crowe, we've been fortunate the blue stone last year um, and now a large stone like this. Um, they do not occur very often. I think if you looked at um, the large stones which are, are recovered, especially large gem quality stones, um, they are almost like hen's teeth. It's going to take a while to find them and then you're not going to be able to predict that you're going to recover one. So it is a very fortuitous. And if you look at the stone which we've got, the shape actually um, is the reason why we recovered it. But it's also through a significant amount of luck that that stone passed through the screen to get to recovery. Otherwise, it most probably would have gone to the crash and been broken. But the, I think the, the overall um, number of gem quality stones larger than 200 carats, which are recovered um, each year, is most probably less than five. Right, okay. And the Crowley mine seems to be giving up some, some rare blue diamonds as well. First, the 9.46 carat blue diamond in November then again in January with two more stones. So can you tell us a bit more about the rarity of blue diamonds and what the discovery of the Caraway mine means for the, for the potential of that deposit? Everybody keeps asking me when we're going to recover our next blue stone. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping it's next week, and I think everybody else on the mine side is. Yeah. Um, I think if we look at the rarity of, of blue stones, it really comes down to um, the stone, the 9.46 carat stone, it's not a, a dark blue. It's what the, the diamond tiers would call a sky blue stone. So it's a, a light blue. It's a blue that is pleasing to the eye. And that type of blue is not very very common in diamonds. A lot of people will recover blue stones. Actually, fairly recently, there was a, a vivid blue stone, um, much darker blue, which sold for $275,000 a carat. Around um, about the same size as our smaller one, where we got 341. So it is a more appealing stone. Um, but if we look at how often a bluestone of around about nine carats is recovered, most probably in the last five years, that would be one of the only stones of that quality recovered. And we're looking at over 600 million carats being recovered over a five-year period from the mines which are operational. So it is a, an exceptionally rare occurrence. Looking at the, the value of the stone, um, $477,000 a carat is definitely an indication that um, they are not going to come along very often. And it is almost like a a very old or a very expensive painting. Um, there's one of a kind, and that's why people are willing to pay a lot of money for it. Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned the value and the rarity of those blue diamonds. What characteristics of the Caraway mine are, are enabling the discovery of those, those blue diamonds? If we go back and we have a look at the exploration, there, there's nothing in the exploration samples or any of the diamonds which were recovered mm -hmm. during the exploration which indicates that there's a possibility of a blue stone. Generally, the, the recovery of blue stones is due to boron in the actual kimberlite matrix. That's what gives it this blue color. And just during the emplacement, there's most probably been um, some area where the kimberlite has gone through or even during the, the, um, the, the formation of the diamonds, there was boron present. And it's interesting because if we look at the mines in and around where we are, um, the Arapa mine, which is about 25 kilometers away, the Lekani, which is around about the same, um, neither of those mines actually have any, any blue stones. Actually the occurrence of a large stone in those areas hasn't really been seen in over 40 years of, of production. So Karoe does seem to be unique in certain characteristics which are yielding both the large and the micro stones. Right, yeah. So um, just talking about the uh, Mate project, um, Lucara should be pushing through with the PEA shortly. What should investors expect from the results of that? 
I think one of the, the challenges for us in, in Lesotho is it's essentially a, a country which has never had a history of diamond mining. Um, they, they've um, had the gem, Gems Let's Sing diamond mine, which has been operating since 2007, and prior to that, the only real mine which they had was essentially Let's Sing again, which De Beers operated in the early 70s. Um, and because of that, the overall infrastructure within the country is not really set up to support a mining industry. So um, just for us on the PEA, one of the constraints in terms of taking the project forward does seem to be the lack of power infrastructure. So we, we've looked at, there is a power line that runs about six and a half kilometers away from our mine site, and we were hoping that we would actually just be able to connect into that. But the line also runs directly in from South Africa, there are significant losses, so when the study was completed, we now actually have to string an entire line from the Muela hydro station, which is about 65 kilometers away. And that runs at over $60 million. And if you're looking at the development of a project for 150 to $200 million, adding on an additional 60 does have a significant impact on the, the overall capital requirements. Yeah, absolutely. The, the diamond industry is in need of new discoveries with, with bigger mines closing. For example, our Rose's near mine in Russia, which closed in 2011. And Anglo's Joaneng mine, which was slated to close in 2033. So do you think there will be um, any more big economically viable mines discovered in the near term? Um, it is a, a significant challenge for the diamond sector. On one hand, for us, it's good because um, less, less discoveries obviously means sort of pressure on the price. Price will go up, we make more money. But I think the concern is the amount of money which is actually being spent on exploration. So yes, I do believe that additional resources are required to continue to produce um, the, the volume of diamonds which the really the, the, the market is demanding at the moment. Um, but over the past four years, the, the amount of money which has actually been spent on diamond exploration has whittled down to almost nothing. And there are very few, even the majors, BHP, Rio, um, and, and Angler, even Alrosa, are spending very small amounts compared to what they used to spend on diamond exploration. Um, and I think they, they previously had handed the mantle over to the juniors to say, well, you find it, and then we'll come in and assist you in, in buildings. Um, but even that has dried up. And if you look at the number of diamond junior companies that are listed, they've all transferred over into some other commodity because the price of diamonds was under a lot of pressure from 2008, bit of recovery in 2011, and then a lot of pressure again in 2012. Um, but I think the, the amount of exploration, even if you look at the number of projects, is still not going to satisfy um, demand or be able to get up to the maximum production, which was actually in 2007 at 176 million tonnes for the year. If we look at last year, we're looking close to 125 to 130 million carats. So there's still about a, a 40 million carat difference. And there's no new production or no projects that can actually be put in place with existing mines to make up that shortfall. Right, yeah. Okay. And so just talking about um, diamond consumers, uh, we published an article about the debate surrounding the effectiveness of the, of the Kimberley process. Now, some say the definition of conflict diamonds should be changed to accommodate increasing incidences of human rights issues. What do you think about that? I think if I talk about the Lucara's um, assets and where they stand, um, and then re refer back to, and I'm sure that the, the, the article did actually reference Morangi and essentially what's happening in Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. um, where we've actually focused our, our efforts both in Botswana, which has a 40 years or 40 years of diamond um, production experience, um, government actually owning 50% of Botswana. There's a very strong connection between um, social responsibility on the government side, our side as well, that connection to make sure that the, the diamond mining sector within Botswana is done in a sustainable um, and corporate social responsibility manner. I think if we start to look outside of that, 
um, there are definite areas where a change in the Kimberley process of how they actually manage things um, should be done differently. Um, but in the areas where, where we are currently operating, the Kimberley process has, has continued to be very, very effective in being able to manage both the information flow but also the security of the assets which we're on. Okay, right. Well, I mean, it's great. It's been great talking to you about not just your projects in Africa, but the diamond industry as a whole. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Andrew. I've been Andrew Top for Investing News Network. Thank you very much.